Hello, and welcome to the Electric and Eclectic Podcast Show with Roger Atkins and some truly super smart and amazingly interesting guests. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Episode 10. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Steve Levine and I, I'm so delighted to have Steve on. Why I really like Steve and admire him is he's a sharp, uh, got a sharp mind, uh, insightful mind, and he is a proper professional wordsmith, something I would love to be, something I hanker to be. I occasionally get there, but most of the time I, I, I wobble a bit. But Steve's a proper journalist. Steve, welcome. How are you? Thanks so much, Roger. Very kind of you. I'm good. I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, brilliant. And I'm so keen to talk to you about a whole bunch of things. So you've been writing up, you know, for, for a long time. It's your career. You, you are a professional journalist. But The Electric is something fantastic you've now put together. It's under subscription because you spend a lot of time and effort putting it all together. So quite rightly, it's paid for. Um Give us a little gist of what you've covered this year then, because let's have a quick what happened 2021. Oh, my God. You know, it's uh, it's been it's been quite a year. Uh, I mean, we've we've uh, understood that we lost fast charge. Uh, we 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 started the year thinking, uh, you know, that everyone uh, uh, all batteries were going to uh, or should charge up in 15 minutes. And, and at the end of the year, we understood uh, that's not going to happen or it's going to happen much less. Uh, we understood, uh, we now understand what a, um, what a disadvantaged position the whole non-Chinese world is in terms of the supply chain. Um, uh, LFP suddenly, <laughs> LFP, <laughs> we, we talked, um, off camera about a one, two, three, which pioneered, uh, LFP lost LFP to Wanchang, the Chinese company, uh, and uh, the West, the US and Europe developed NMC, NCA. Well, now LFP is back. Maybe LFP is the biggest story of all. Um, another, another thing that happened this year, um, lithium metal has come into its own. Uh, you know, uh, we understand now uh, who's going to do it, uh, when they're going to do it. Um, and uh, maybe another, so LFP is one big thing. Second big thing, the big automakers have the fear of God visibly in, into them. And you can see them uh, kind of shaking in their, in their boots and, and they themselves wonder who's going to make it. Right. Right. Well, look, let, let's quickly dig into a few of those. So, so, so battery chemistry, it's a kind of moving feast. You know, we've got all these different people trying to come up with the right chemistry, the right cocktail, I suppose you could call it, um, for a particular reason. And I guess you will have seen this over many years. I certainly have. There's a battery breakthrough. There's going to be this singing and dancing battery that's going to change the world. But it never actually comes to reality because it's such a challenging thing. You know, whether it's cycle life, whether it's safety, whether it's cost, whether it's energy density, Trying to get all those is like trying to pick a lot the, the lot the winning lottery ticket. You know, you you can't gotta have all the numbers, otherwise you haven't won. Um, so I think, as you say, I think kind of the big story of the year is LFP because it's almost like let's default back to the safe and and, and 
relatively straightforward battery chemistry. It's been around a long time. We were using LFP batteries in the Modec electric van. I was part of that thing back in 2007. So it's not a new chemistry. And of course, for anyone watching, perhaps doesn't know this, and I didn't until, you know, not, not that long ago, LFP has no C, has no cobalt. So often the big story about batteries is artisanal mining in the Congo, and it's wrong. Of course it is. And that then obviously gives a little bit of uh, impetus to the negative press on electric vehicles. But if we see more and more LFP and there's no cobalt in it, that's a very good thing in that regard particularly. So, yeah. So what about then incumbents and disruptors, Steve? What's your sense then of, you know, the big play seemingly that we now have from GM, from Ford, from Volkswagen, from, from some of these others. Um, can they make it? Have they left it too late, Steve? Well, they, they, there's no doubt that they're late. They know that they're late. But it's, uh, it's a different question. Who, who's going to, um, if, if, if any of them are going to fail? Um, I, uh, I think it's indisputable that many of them are going to be shrunken. So uh, the, the, the best case for GM, for Volkswagen and Toyota as well is that they survive much smaller, much, much, much more slender. Look at Ford. Ford's game, game plan um, is to electrify their icons the Mustang, the Ford, uh, the F-150 pickup truck. Um, okay, how many icons do you have? Does that add up? Will that add up to 4 million vehicles? That's how many they sell now per year. Um, I don't think so. And so uh, so, so I, I, it, it, it looks like, I mean, Jim Farley, the, the CEO, you know, very, very smart. Their people are, are smart, but I, but I think they end up, slendered up around these icons gm they're uh they they want to win i mean the 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 good thing about these these players is they're not kodak they're not uh uh you know you know some of the of the um of the uh the cell phone uh players in denying until the very end What's going on? I mean, it's it's clear they've gotten the music, um, but you know, to the end, they're not going to all survive. Some of them won't. Uh, I think the um, the analogy is the 1990s for the oil industry when Exxon bought Mobil, Chevron bought Texaco, and Unical. We're going to see consolidation. So who who's going to buy whom? Um, uh, the the uh, the big companies, uh, it's it just going to, if we talk again in 2025, it's going to look like the 1990s with a bunch of companies having consolidated. Oh, okay. That, Steve, I, th- I think this is a really fascinating arena. So let me just add a bit of uh, a bit of mix into that, you know, make that a little bit more murky then. What about Chinese players buying up some of the European or US players? Is that even... Is that going to be allowed? I mean, could you see, for example, Geely buying buying Mercedes, buying Daimler? Could you see, you know, uh, a- any of these things where where we get, you know, w- whatever you want to call it, this this real, you know, geopolitical complexion, or is some of the stuff going on kind of not just behind the scenes, but 
but more overtly, going to get in the way of that? Um, how do you think that might play out in terms of some of those kind of, you know, arranged marriages or whatever we want to call them? <laughs> yeah, that that's problematic in the United States. I can see that happening in, in Europe. Uh, Daimler is already 20% owned by, by, by Chinese. Uh, yeah, I think that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think like that, like that, that's one of the, um, the big things that will happen. We'll start seeing it. Well, we're already seeing it, right? We, we, we've got, uh, Neo and BYD landed in, uh, Norway and they have plans of expansion into more of Europe next year. Uh, BYD and Neo have have set up shop in California. They've been there for quite some time. BYD has got it's uh, the Han and the Tang, just one of each in Southern California. They're taking people on uh, on, on on spins around. Um, uh, yes, I do. But 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 the politics in the U.S. Like, there's a Huge. You, I mean, you'll have to inform me about about what's going on in the UK. But there is a huge uh, anti-China thing going on here. Uh, so I, I think that uh, an actual acquisition of a of a US company uh, that would be hard. Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I think let's be blunt. From the way I'm hearing and watching this, that would be just be blocked. You know, they, they wouldn't allow it. Um, so, so which comes on to something you mentioned right at the beginning, uh, supply chain. Um, we know that roughly 90% of the cells manufactured in the world today uh, are manufactured in Asia. Um, a great deal of those in China, but of course, there's, you know, there's Korea, there's Japan, etc. So we've got, you know, nine out of 10 battery cells made in Asia. We've got five of the biggest battery companies Again, based in Asia, um, CATL, Samsung, LG, etc. Um, and then with this now accelerated electric vehicle adoption, what's going to happen then with all these battery factories being built in the US and in Europe when they come to go and do their shopping for their essential minerals and, and the, the processed minerals? Because it's not just digging it out of the ground and the Chinese own a ton of that. It's also processing the minerals. And again, the Chinese own a ton of that. To me, you can't change the geology. The stuff is where it is. But what you can change, and where I think the big opportunity is, is in mineral processing. I think that particular aspect is a hugely important arena, and it couples itself very nicely to you know, um, the chemical industry. In the UK, we have a fantastic chemical industry. I guess in America, you've got a pretty big one too. Um, so how do you see that playing out, Steve, this, this whole mismatch now with where is the stuff, the essential ingredients to make batteries coming from? How's that plant going to play out geopolitically and strategically, do you think? Yeah. So so I'd like to uh, to go back and forth on this a little bit because we're we're able to cover two big geographies together. Um, one is that uh, I, I'm totally with you exactly what you've said, the the middle the uh, the space between the ore and the cell, the processing, that's the strategic uh, uh, place to be. That's where geopolitical control is held. And that's where China has got, um, uh, you know, the, the whole industry in, it, in its hands. It spent the last 
decade developing the the whole chain. It processes virtually all the graphite in the world. Yeah, yeah. right, and right, and almost all the manganese too, and and a very high percentage of the the cobalt and the nickel. Um, the, the, I can tell you, in the United States, the car companies have uh, have relinquished their uh, responsibility, their corporate responsibility for taking control of their own supply chain, and uh, and and told the cathode makers, yeah. Yeah. The, the 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 South Koreans, you do it. Yeah, and that that is that is like. That's corporate malfeasance, but but well, but, I, I I think it is, and and let's just jump around on a couple of quick things there. Totally with you on um, graphite uh, and, and declaring vested interest here. I, I, I kind of advise got on an advisory board um, of uh, an American company based in Phoenix, Arizona, called Urbix, and I was so compelled by what they were doing and how important they could become. I and I've never done it before. I, I invested in in the company. I mean, I'm not. A, Big cheese. I didn't invest, you know, millions. You know, it's some of my savings um, because I really think they are strategically important to the U.S. in particular. Um, but, but on your bigger point of, you know, relinquishing responsibility, you know, sort of uh, who's at the wheel of this stuff? Who's on the wheelhouse? Um, look at what Henry Ford set up when he began automotive manufacturing, a vertically integrated business. Why? Well, because it was new. And, you know, a lot of these supply lines didn't exist. So he kind of had to, I suppose, vertically integrate. It was a necessity. But he did it also because he wanted to secure supply. He wanted to ensure that everything came just in time. And he also, I think, wanted to ensure he could maximize margin. Rather than giving away margin to your supply chain, you are the supply chain, so it's your money. And um, let's just think for a minute, Steve. Who's taken that playbook in putting their business together? Right, we, right. we know, don't we? We know. Right. right. So the, the this is a, a larger question. By, by the way, parenthetically, I just want to give credit to Volkswagen, which in, in the last week and a half has announced um, the first steps to taking control of its supply chain. And, and Northvolt, both of these, I think uh, Europe, is uh, it's 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 in a tr- troubled uh, position, but it has start. It's getting its act together. So uh, Elon Musk, the U.S. has only Elon Musk in terms of uh, ha- having the vision. What what you're describing, you know, that Henry Henry Ford vision. But I think it's it's even bigger than that, and that and that's in 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 terms of the just the whole big picture. Manufacturing, uh, processing, grabbing everything, uh, 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 um, uh, capturing the imagination of the of the public. We have one guy. What has happened to America? Why, why are why why do we only have one guy? It's crazy. Well, well, I, I think it's to do with. Um... It's partly to do with democracy, dare I say it, and I shouldn't really make a political point. But what I mean by that is 
a lot of these things need long-term strategic thinking, you know, whether it's energy, whether it's, you know, mobility, this epic transition to electrification, and maybe more autonomy, maybe even a bigger transition. And I think those things, because they are of their nature, long-term infrastructure-based propositions, that's really difficult for that to come out of this three, four, five-year political cycle we have in democracy. Whereas in China and other countries that perhaps aren't quite so, well, aren't dem- democracies, they have longer-term planning. They, they join up their thinking. It's a long-term vision. And you'll know very well the, the Made in China 2025 proposition, very public document, nothing secretive and like sinister. But what that essentially mapped out was, this is how we want to kind of rule some of the world. Now, how and why people didn't wake up to that sooner, I do not know. Because I'm completely with you, whether it was Europe or America or other parts, South America, India, wherever, just kind of let them get on with it. Um, And this isn't an anti-China sort of thing. I know your sense of things. It's not that. It's a pro-balance proposition. It's about having equity around the world so that we don't have the same thing we've had for 100 years, which is this reliance on these oil-producing nations that's destabilized you know global politics and triggered some of the worst moments in human history you know why on earth would we want to have something like that happen all over again it's just nuts right um, right yeah so you know man it, it yeah sorry i got a bit i got a bit excited there but i <laughs> i mean it that is how it seems to me maybe i'm just a simple guy but you're a really sophisticated journalist i'm not trying to blow smoke up you what's it but you know, you've been around, you really understand the real depth and broad aspects of politics and commerce and all the rest of that. How has this happened, Steve? All right. Well, we're back. We're back where we where we started, uh, where we started. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I'm, I, I asked the same question. Um, basically, when I ha- whenever I have a chat like this, I ask. The people I'm, you know, you're, you know, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a, a guy in the know. I talked to other guys in the know. What happened? Why? Why are we in this position? We we lack vision and we lack guts. That's for sure. Right. So the so the the Chinese decided, as you as you said, uh, in in 2009, uh, the the chairman who we're going to these are the technologies of the future we think quantum computing uh ai uh, uh biotechnology and 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 electric cars batteries and electric cars we want to own the we want to own these technologies we're going to do everything we can to own these and then did whatever it took to carry that out and and we knew we were talking about this i i i started writing the powerhouse in 2010 and the U.S. was talking about it then, but then we gave up. We did, we did it for like one or two years. There was a scandal about one company, and uh, oh well, the, I, I guess we sh- we shouldn't be doing that. You know, we're not we're not China. We're the United States. Freedom, right? <laughs> and, and and so on. And and the the freedom to screw this whole thing up. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Well, well, when you're doing that powerhouse, then Steve, let me just try and. Uh, line up a few kind of things, chronology of things. That would have been around A123 and what was, in other words, a gigafactory, a battery gigafactory in Detroit, in Livonia, 
I just joined Ricardo and I went to that place and it was like Blade Runner. I'd never been inside a battery factory. I didn't know, you know, what are all these people wearing all this funny kind of gear, you know, back then in whatever, what was that, 2011 or something, I suppose. Um, this is the craziness of it. We had a battery factory, one of the most sophisticated facilities in the world at the time. Why didn't that spawn so many more? Because it wasn't, you know, Elon Musk coming up with the idea, you know, a couple of years later. It already happened. It's it's just, it befuddles me sometimes. And I, I think you're right. It's just distraction, a lack of vision, not having a cohesive plan. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm just sort of, and this is really weird, Steve. I'm almost lost for words. Yeah. <laughs> that well, doesn't I, happen very often. Yeah. It's, it's strange. While you're talking, I'm thinking about, we obviously do have uh, visionary people and people who, um, who take risks, but where are they taking risks? They're doing it about software, um, you, you know, th things that, that can be uh, done very quickly uh, and uh, in, basically in a year, right? <laughs> they yeah. they are created and then marketed and then and then there's this whole infrastructure, the the Silicon Valley infrastructure, uh, you know, to make make everybody super wealthy in the 19th century when you know when you had the big uh, steel barons, banking barons, uh, uh, automobile, you know, the beginning and oil barons, it, it was. It was uh, industry, and and uh, the, of course, this all came out of the UK. But but today, that's regarded uh, as something you know young people don't want to touch. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. No, that's that's a good point. And I mean, and I'm certainly not an engineer, you know, um, and that's never going to happen in my, in my life. But I hugely admire engineers for their just their simple approach to wanting to solve problems. And the way when you watch the greatest engineers work together in teams and the things they can do, profound things they can do and fix really quickly. You know, I've been in around people this year who've been putting airplanes in the sky with, you know, either batteries on them, either fuel cells in them, or even synthesizing, you know, uh, petroleum and, and actually creating um, uh, petrol but not from from fossil fuels um from 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 renewable energy um and these are often the very best engineers often in formula one because that's in motorsport terms that's where a lot of the really the big money is and it attracts then the the top talent so steve yeah we can do it we know we can and and i just hope now with the the big plans that are being announced in europe and the united states that we can play catch up real quick. And, you know, boy, do we need to catch up. So I think we've got to be optimists. You know, you, you're a storyteller, so am I. Um, we, we want to tell the truth and tell the story as it is, but we also want to give people, you know, character and ambition. And, you know, we, we want to stimulate that, that activity, that positive sense of it can be done. A bit like your president did in America in 1962. I was talking to... Andy Darga recently, who used to work at NASA, by the way, he's the guy doing the wireless charging stuff in the States. And, and at his facility, he has that, you know, do this and do the other things, not because it's easy, but because it's hard. Right. And, and that call to arms that um, uh, JFK had in 1962, which then delivered the man on the moon by the end of the decade, 
we want to see more of that. You know, that kind of beautiful crafted ambition, uh, which triggered so much commerce, innovation, you could argue that triggered so much of what's in that place you just mentioned, you know, Northern California, you know, all the software stuff, all the companies involved in microchips. And, and that all came out of um, the, the Apollo mission, didn't it? I mean, I might be wrong, but I think that's the case. Yeah, right. I, well, military applications and uh, of of various kinds. But the, uh, you know, Roger, but, you know, your your point about um not about about creating the right the right tone. What are we really talking about when we're expressing angst? It's not uh, it's it's not for not the reason that we're uh, that both of us I think are unhappy about this is we both see something important but also super exciting. Like what we're talking about here is right. Is, a, uh, you know, the invention of a brand new industry, a, a couple of industries, right? Because it's the EV and it's the battery industry. These are these are two things. And it is exciting. And and uh, and we want uh, our the places where we live to get on with it. And we both know history. We know how um, how our uh, uh, people uh, have uh you know, responded to situations in the past and what the hell is going on this time. And uh, yeah, that's. Yeah, no, I'm, well, you talk about the past. I've got a book here. I don't know if you read it called Total. It's uh, this book here. Sorry, I never get the camera thing right. Uh, let me just quickly read a very quick bit from it. It says here, um, uh, the technology to enable the management of these virtual power plants known as the smart grid um, it was a long-term futuristic function, no less critical than the company's more visible components, the battery switch stations, the charge spots, OSCAR, O-S-C-A-R, that's a, a system Better Place had, and the car itself. Better Place's smart grid, which was envisioned not just for regions like Denmark, which are rich in renewable energy, but also for regular countries like Israel, ensured that if every single electric car was plugged into charge at once, the electrical system wouldn't crash under the massively increased demand. Now, this is a cause for focus and maybe concern around the world in terms of different capabilities and different grids. But Think about that. That's a company back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, before it fell over, um, you know, with a lot of American money, a lot of American innovation. Yes, it was out of Israel. But, you know, this is this is the crazy thing. We've kind of got going. We've almost been there. We've mentioned A123. There have been some extraordinary companies in America before Tesla. And um, we just need to, I think, the storytelling you and I do is just uncover some of those things, remind people some of those things, try and encourage. Um, and if we can, you know, encourage and inspire. Um, you know, I'm, I don't ever want to be, and you've, you've certainly never been a spin doctor, but, right. but definitely what you want to, to be is a cheerleader, a cheerleader for exactly what you've been saying, Steve, innovation, great engineering, team working. And, um, you know, you're not jingoistic about it. You know, of course, you're American and you want America to do a bunch of this stuff. I'm the, I'm the same for the UK. But I want it to be all over the world, not, not just in China or just in America. So, um, yeah, we just need to bang a big old drum, don't we, Steve? <laughs> well, it's, it's an economic thing, uh, uh, Roger. If, if, the, uh, if companies in 
Europe, uh, and the U.S. are going to compete, they have to have their supply chains close to them. Um, yes. They they right, and so uh, their the just the their costs are going to be much higher if they don't have their supply chains close to them. And in addition to that, just as we're seeing this year, the chip shortage because we're you know basically that's that's the car makers it's their own fault they 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 uh stopped they canceled their orders right yeah yeah and that, that was that was short-sighted right they said yeah. well you know we'll they'll just give a bit no sorry we've already moved on but anyway that's that is a message about batteries about the yeah. supply chain and and uh and and so that's it but if if uh the folks who listen to your podcasts take one thing home it's it's the most exciting thing you can do is to figure out how to make lfp cheaper that means streamlining the processing right so so the the chinese are using processing technology for the lfp that was invented a decade Go. There are new processes. I don't need to name the companies, but your your guys themselves. There are processes that are um, reducing the number of steps it takes to make the LFP, and start making LFP in Europe and in the United States. That's the most impactful, very biggest, and probably most profitable and strategic thing you can do. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I'd couple with that a sense that I've had for a while, and I know you have and many others, which is the, the relationship between charging, the charging protocols, speed of charging, availability of charging, and what the battery is. So I think up until, well, today even, but up until today, uh, people are fixated on great big batteries that can do two, three, four, 500 miles or even more. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because they're nervous about the ability to charge. So they think, mm, be on the safe side, have like hundreds of miles, even though I don't need it. Um, but that hundreds of miles, even though you don't need it, it's cost, it's weight, and it's critical mineral resources. So carrying those around, you know, redundantly is just silly. So if we can then, in effect, put the range into the charging infrastructure more, we can take less range around with us in, in our cars and buses and vans and trucks, everything. So I think, again, um, where LFP is a great shout, Steve, as your suggestion, um, yeah, it doesn't have this, the same sort of energy density and some of the other characteristics that a few other chemistries has. But if we get a better network rolled out there for charging, that's not a problem. So, so we... we I think it's this almost like the permutation of one or two different things, just getting the right order of those things together, I guess is it's a bit like that lottery ticket again, Steve. Um, trying to get the you know all the numbers together uh, to make it work. but but we've got to do it because otherwise, you know I'm in mind of a conversation I had November 2019 in America, in Los Angeles at um, at uh, Simon Moore's Benchmark Mineral Intelligence event. And I was talking to a guy, you probably know this guy, um, Joe Lowry. Yes. Joe Lowry is a New Yorker guy who's a specialist in, in lithium. He's done it for decades. He knows more than anyone else. So I said to, to Joe, look, we make 80 million cars roughly a year. Can we make 80 million EVs like just like that with all the lithium? He said, nope. He said, if you take an average battery pack size of 60 kilowatts, 
he approximated that by 2025, the most we could be making in terms of that 80 million ambition would be about 7% of them. So you kind of think, oh, right, okay. And we had a little chat about that. He explained some of the, the metrics to that. But but when you reconcile that kind of thinking and that kind of you know analytics with you know six gigafactories here from Volkswagen, eight gigafactories there from Daimler, twelve gigafactories here from Ford, and and you put together all of that you know ambition to build batteries and the number of EVs, and then try and reconcile that with the mining and mineral processing uh, arena, you can see the numbers just don't stack up. I mean, do you have you heard? Do you know who Simon Moores is? Of course, I do. Yeah, no, sorry. Simon, I, yeah, sorry. I, I, that, that was rude of me to even ask, Steve. <laughs> yes, of course you do. Well, you no, know no. that 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 I could call it a famous moment, or some might say infamous moment, where he's in front of the US Senate for energy, and he it's like a movie. He starts by saying, We are in the midst of a global battery arms race, of which the United States is a bystander. It's like it's like from Hollywood. That moment for me, Steve, alerted something, a journey I've been on ever since. That's almost three years ago, um, where I thought, I better understand mining and minerals. If I want to talk about EVs and help people come up with some suggestions, I need to understand what this bloke's talking about because I didn't have a clue. Um, but yeah, so so you, sorry, of course you know, of course you know him. Um, what's your sense then of what you've heard this year from different people around the world and, and um in that whole kind of conundrum of of the mismatch between mining, mineral processing, and automotive, what 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 can you share with us? Uh, so um, it's it's um, I can say that uh, that the uh, decision makers here, and by decision makers, I'm talking about the private decision makers. Um, I think are maybe they're drinking from a fire hose or something, but, 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 but I'm just trying to imagine like, would you build like, would you build a, uh, uh, you know, a water factory that makes the bottles and you, and you didn't have water to put in the bottles, you know, you know, and, 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 you know, and the, the same, you know, do you build a, you know, a, uh, a ch- you know a chicken drumstick factory but you 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 don't have the chickens you know and, and this is <laughs> yeah this is yeah. what what they've done you know they're announcing these huge because Elon does right they're trying to mimic Elon mm. see we have gigafactories too okay what are you going to put into the batteries <laughs> oh man Oh, Nico Cuevas, the guy at Urbix, has a great line for this. I, I know it's not his line, but but I do like it. You know, you can't make ketchup, a ketchup without having tomatoes. It's just like everything you just said. Um, but 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 I think that the thing that seems to be the case is surely not. Maybe we're wrong, Steve. But it seems that the OEMs just think they can like click their fingers and there'll be a queue of people waiting out the door to supply all of this stuff to the gigafactory, you know, yeah. ready, no. willing, and able. And also they'll be able to buy, you know, negotiate them down on price and all the rest of that. So here we are having gone all the way down to a hundred dollars a kilowatt hour for a, you know, a battery, that kind of, that, that whole um, tipping point moment that people have talked about a lot to then, then cost parity on, on the electric vehicle proposition. But hang on a second, 
if we're going to start running out of this stuff, we all know the laws of supply and demand dictating price. Well, it's already started to happen. The price of these minerals is going back up again. So that even in itself could stall the momentum of the electric vehicle revolution, couldn't it? Because then they ain't as cheap anymore. Right. So the so the decade ahead, the one we're in is uh, in terms of EVs, in terms of batteries, is a bumpy decade. Things uh, will not happen as fast as we think, and it'll be later. So first start starting with later. So the it was cost parity between combustion and batteries was supposed to uh, uh, ba- uh, battery power cars was supposed to come around 2025 following the uh, the cost trajectory down that we've seen the last decade we get to an average of uh, uh b- below actually um uh, $100 per kilowatt hour around 2023 or 2025 and the and the and the cost of EVs follows that the cost of nickel manganese cobalt lithium graphite are through the roof and so that year that cost parity year gets pushed into the second half of the decade we don't have Right, the the car makers, the major car makers are all uh, poised to pile in with dozens of EV models around 2025. Who are they selling them to? Right, they're they're so they're not the the cost is going to be they're not going they're not going to be mainstream priced. That's one thing. The uh, and and the the second thing the the utter shortage the shortage of all of these metals means that uh, even if there were the number of orders for these cars, they're not going to be able to produce them. And so the numbers that the estimates that are uh, uh, that are made by all of the leading agencies, we, we know for how many EVs will sell uh, starting in 2025 to 2030, they're wrong. It's going to be much lower. And the reason it's going to be much lower is they, there are no batteries to put in them. Ah, Steve. Unless you're making Chinese cars, because if they already make most of the batteries to begin with, by definition, they have the supply chain lines. They have they have that ability. So there's a very uncomfortable scenario here, an inconvenient truth, which is just at the point where you can convincing the consumer to adopt electric vehicles. Just like you said, they're not going to be available in the numbers from the European or the U.S., suppliers, but the Chinese automakers who are now beginning to make their inroads into Europe and the US, they'll be able to make as many as you like. So, you know, we've got a very troubling scenario here that, and like I want to reiterate, this is not an anti-China, from my perspective, not an anti-China perspective. It's a question of having balance, you know, across the key strategic regions of Europe, North America and um, and Asia, uh, in particular China, um, and we, you know, just like don't just let this happen. This is just nuts. So your point about LFP earlier on, I think, is absolutely fantastic. Again, can I declare vested interest in making a statement because I don't want to, you know, do stuff that's hidden away. So wireless charging, you probably know, I'm a bit of an advocate for high power wireless charging. That American company I mentioned. Momentum Dynamics, the, the guy's been banging away on it for 10 years. It's now coming to, to market fruition. Uh, people now believe it. I myself sat in a, a Jaguar I-Pace, Steve, in Oslo. Honestly, I, I be- was overwhelmed with emotion, almost burst into tears, but I 
wasn't going to do that on camera. Um, <laughs> but I was really excited because it was charging up at 52 kilowatts wirelessly, you know, efficiently. Um, and you know, I didn't have to get out of the car, didn't have to do anything. Um, so the charging is happening automatically, the 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 payment is happening automatically. And and to my mind, where that might go that particular way of, of charging, not as a panacea, but especially for buses, taxis, vans, high utilization vehicles and, and closed loop facilities like ports and airports is to not need ever more, ever bigger batteries, but put the, 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 the range into the charging infrastructure. And that's a way of still having electric vehicles and building out, you know, all of this ambition, but not being totally reliant on the battery, um, you're still going to be reliant on resources because you've still got to put, you know, there's copper that's needed. There's a whole bunch of stuff. It's not it's not that straightforward. But nonetheless, I think where the economics prevail and there's a compelling case for it, this is a strategic advantage, a countermeasure, if you like, to just having to build batteries. And, and it goes to, again, Elon Musk's first principle. He loves talking that way. First principle of an EV, to my mind, is it runs on an electron, not on a battery. The battery is just the storage medium, isn't it? You know, it's just a lump of stuff to hold the electrons in place for when they're needed. Whereas if you can take the electrons a little and often graze, I suppose you'd call it, rather than, you know, fast charge or otherwise, um, on the route. Um, and again, like swap, this can't be and isn't a panacea, but it's a solution for quite a big niche to deal with a problem that we're going to have coming at us, which is the availability of batteries. So, yeah, I, I, I there's there's a lot, there's so much going on. Like you said, it's really exciting, isn't it? For, for guys like us who've been around, you know, the industry for quite a few decades, it's never been this exciting, has it? Let's be honest. No, it, it's no, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's it's um, it must be how, you know, the guys felt at the beginning of, uh, you know, the end of the 19th and the beginning of the 20th century. There were yeah. scores of automobile companies. Right. And 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 uh, very, very few of them survived. But a couple of a couple of things I wanted to follow a couple of threads that you raised that were super interesting. One one is about um okay an adjustment is made that's what happens right in in uh business a a problem arises and it doesn't kill everything some ingenuity is is applied and 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 there's an answer but the 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 ones you're describing like uh swap and uh and and, and um you know uh wireless yep. you know this kind of charging and uh and and, and all that that takes time. You're still in a bumpy decade. Like that, that, like that, that resolution can happen, but it's not going to happen by 2025, certainly. And, and you know, maybe you just start getting there toward the end of the decade, and maybe it's an answer for the for the 2030s. This decade happens much differently from what we thought. But the but the but the things you're talking about, um, if you have a 200 mile car or a 250 mile uh battery that you can charge quickly, you know, say in 20 minutes and, uh, and there's charging everywhere reliable. Yeah. Yeah. Then people, then people will get along with that. And the, uh, you know, the, the swapping, swapping 
well, you know, it's it's almost too late for it. Unless remember, with the swapping, the automobile companies themselves have to have to create the uh, the means at the underbody for that to happen. Oh, oh yeah, and they're not doing that. They aren't oh. doing. That. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, if you if you read this book, which is the chronicle of the rise and fall of of Better Place, that's absolutely all in there. You know, the 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 challenges both technically, strategically, operationally, etc. But here's the thing again, Steve. In China, the government have mandated standards and protocols around battery swapping. Neo themselves have 700 battery switch stations up and running in operation. They've had hundreds of thousands of swap events, probably millions, I guess, by now. They're, um, they're working with Sinopec, you know, the, the bigger oil company. So, so there are things in here which are, again, we should keep, keep an eye on it because you're right that there are, you know, some, some huge block blockers in, in, in it all. But nonetheless, you know, you've got a U.S. startup um, uh, showing wireless charging over in San Francisco. I know that. Geely are piling into battery swapping. So maybe it will be a predominantly China thing. Who knows? Well, but, but, yeah, but, 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 Roger, you're describing a thing very different from Better Place. You're describing the, the resolution coming from an automobile company not a, a swapping company. So Neo has decided we're going to make our own cars and they're going to be swappable. And Geely has decided some of its vehicles will will too. That, so it has to be that Mercedes or whomever decides we're going this direction. Yeah, Steve, that, that is a very fair and important and um, smart distinction. That's why you're who you are and that's why I'm just some black. Wait, but I wanted to raise one other thing, <laughs> Roger. You said another thing that I think is very important, and we've kind of glided over, and that's that if we have this supply problem, mm-hmm. uh, and but China doesn't, then then you have uh, uh, automakers like Volvo, right? Uh, they'll have a supply of batteries. That's right. a good and, point. Yeah. And Daimler, 20% owned by, by, by Geely, they'll have batteries, right? So the, the car point. makers that have made strategic uh uh what was I say ownership decisions, they'll be in the catbird seat. Hmm. No, that 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 definitely that definitely makes sense. L- listen, we, we've been having a good old chinwag here, and uh, I know people who will be listening. We're probably thinking I've only got five or ten minutes left because I've, you know, I'm on my way to a meeting or, or whatever. I've got to wait for a phone call shortly if they're, if they're not traveling. Um, can you give give me, Steve, your kind of um, top two or three things this year then that have happened, and then maybe something that you, you're excited about next year? So, yeah, if someone pinned you up against the wall and say, "Come on, what three big things happened this year? W- what was it, Steve Levine?" Okay, so the the uh, I'll, I'll just name two. One one of them is LFP is back. That that's that's huge. That's it's, it's huge. And remember, LFP is the million mile battery. So at, that changes a lot of things about. That means that seven decades long battery. That right. that that changes the game. And a bunch of businesses that don't currently exist, no one has thought of are going to arise around the million mile 
battery. And the second thing is uh, automakers have woken up. Mm. Woke, and we're seeing them pouring tens of billions of dollars into this game. And that's created the scrum that we're seeing. I have a forecast for next year that, Ooh, go ahead, uh, that go I'm ahead. getting much pushback on. No one agrees with me, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, Apple buys an automaker. Oh, Steve, I love this. I love this one. Oh, man. Tell me more. Can you tell me more? All right. Well, I, I just that that um, Apple, we, we know, has been uh, incubating Titan. It's its play in, in the electric and autonomous vehicle space. Right. Uh, but the question uh, out there has always been, yes, but how are they going to commercialize it? The car makers don't want to be mere car makers, right? They They don't want to be uh, uh, j- just some guy. They they want all of the 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 whole cash supply chain. They want to do the software. They want to earn uh, uh, everything. And 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 so Apple has been going from car maker to car maker. Will you make you know this? Car? And they've all said no, <laughs> no, no, because <laughs> it has to be the deal has to be like 50-50 or it has to be. And of course, Apple, being Apple, wants ninety percent of the of the profit and so uh and apple is not going to make its own vehicles it doesn't have that expertise and and right. and so therefore it will fi- it will decide who right and as someone who already makes vehicles and it will buy that automaker and we, you know we can spitball who that's going to be and it will be repurposed that will be the apple uh car Wow. Well, well, that's, that's intriguing. Let's, let's see. I mean, you, you do definitely have a finger on the pulse. So uh, I'm listening intently to that. Um, What's your uh, forecast? Yeah. My forecast, uh, I think is that you are going to see quite, quite a rush towards vertical integration in various degrees by the automakers up into the supply chain for batteries and uh, mineral processing. You've seen a bit of that already this year. Um, Tesla have obviously been very active in it, but things like, you know, they've had even more of that with Albemarle, for example, in Australia. Um, and we've seen Daimler, I think, quite recently have a similar a- announcement in terms of um, strategic alliances, call it that if you want, um, or joint ventures. But I think you're literally going to see acquisitions because I think um, it's like musical chairs. And, and unless you just like Henry Ford did back in the day, unless you secure your supply, you can't make your product. So rather than just being that competitive market, fingers crossed, hope for the best, pay the going rate. If you own a mine or a mineral processor, it's your stuff. And if if there's more stuff than you need, great, sell it to someone else. But it, but if if it's only and only you know only just what what you want, there you go. You're you're in you're in the right place at the right time. So that's what I think is going to happen. We're going to see. Some of these miners and mineral processors who've been, you know, shouting and screaming and jumping up and down, and they've had their own kind of, you know, you know, um, up and down moments over the last decade or so with the the imminent battery revolution, that electric vehicle revolution that never happened. Um, now it is, uh, and so I think that's that's for me is the the big thing um, that's going to happen. Um, and I also think electric aviation is going to happen, but yet yeah, straying off into another subject outside of cars. But um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's some really cool stuff happening right now. But 
Steve, th- thanks for Big. running through all this with me. I, I, I always learn a lot. And tell me a bit more, tell us a bit more about the electric, because I know, like I said right at the beginning, you put a lot of time, effort, research, knowledge into something pretty significant, and you have that you know, on the market. Um, just give us a bit more about that, because I'm sure there'll be people listening will be thinking, that guy knows what he's talking about. How do I get to read more of his stuff? Well, that's very kind of you. Um, the, uh, if if you go online and and uh, Google my name, Steve Levine, and the electric, you'll see it. There's the whole archive there. It attempts every week to dive into something that's uh, that's super important. Trying uh, trying to cut through the uh, the hype basically out there uh, and uh, connect dots give direction what's really happening where are we really going and uh when i succeed then that's that's what it's doing and it uh every month once a month we have a live chat with someone you know some luminary and we you know brought on been been very lucky to bring on some of the you know some of the very biggest battery guys uh that there are over the last few months you know the ones making this age happen uh, and, uh, and, you know, we try to break news, you know, when, uh, when news goes on, this is the, uh, the minimal, the minimum viable product, Roger, we're, you know, we just started out five months ago and we're, uh, uh, we want people to, to subscribe, of course, but to, uh, to tell us what more should we be doing? What does the perfect sort of vehicle look like that, that they're interested in? And, uh, Roger, you have been um, uh, remiss in sending me such an email. Says, <laughs> right, okay. You've got to do this too. I'm suitably uh, chastised. Well, I'm going to do that on this. I was, I was, I've been given a little souvenir. I went to the UK Battery Industrialization Center recently, so I'm going to send you some stuff on that, Steve. Um, this is the one of its kind in the world where you know it's not a manufacturer battery company it's not n- nobody with a direct vested interest in a specific product it's about industrializing the business of batteries uh, based in the UK but it's not wholly and only about people in the UK so anyone can come to it and one of the things i'd just like to finish on again for my prediction next year when we talk about shortages in the supply chain i think the most significant shortage is going to be that of people the right people to work in all of these gigafactories we've been talking about and alluding to earlier. I, I think that then places like the Battery Industrialization Center, and I think there's one planned in Germany, and I guess there'll be others coming too, where part of that facility is there to train and develop and encourage talent, you know, for all of the roles that happen in a gigafactory. I think that's going to be equally problematic, but like all problems, they they also have opportunities, you know, lurking around them. So, so the challenge of talent for battery uh, gigafactories, yeah, that's a, that's another one. And I'll, uh, I will, I'm sorry to be, I feel like I'm in the headmaster's study, being told off and not bringing my homework in. I will send you my thoughts and thinking on on that, and maybe a few suggestions on on what I learned at the Battery Industrialization Center recently. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm 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 pulling your leg 
a little bit there. <laughs> but 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 a couple of things is is that a foundry? You know, is 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 a foundry going up in uh, in we're we're missing that a TSMC of batteries. Oh, Steve, I'm putting a video up now. People may have already seen it where essentially you can see what they've got. They've got clean and dry rooms. They've got a complete capability to make it, if they wanted to, up to, I think, two gigawatts of, of, of battery production. Um, but but it's like a full full scale, you know, a proper battery facility. They make batteries. You've got all of the you know, process in there in terms of the mixing. You've got everything in there in terms of anode and cathode, pouch cell, um, as well as cylindrical cell manufacturer. Um, you know, been in, been there and had the guided tour and looked all around it myself. And like I say, you know, sharing a little sort of video insight into it as well. Um, yeah, we need these because this is where we can encourage younger people. We can try and get a better you know, gender balance in the automotive industry and move away from this thing dominated by just too many, you know, too much male thinking. With nothing wrong with that, but it's not a balance of perspective on what we need in many industries, and the auto industry definitely needs it. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's got a lot of pro promise in it, a, a lot of opportunity for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in the U.S. at at least. Uh, Statistically speaking, women in households are the deciders in terms of what automobile is purchased. There you go. Um, yeah. Okay, but don't uh, don't forget that these these jobs they have to pay well, right? They they have to start out with the idea. They're not paying minimum wage. They've got to pay. If you're training up for these jobs, you earn like a salary that you you can have a family. Yeah, so you can live normally. Oh, these are proper jobs. The, the, these are not, you know, the kind of sweatshop facilities where they're just assembling stuff and people are getting, you know, um, thrashed with an inch of their lives or whatever. Um, nothing like it doesn't resemble any of that at all. This is this is these are smart cookies. Great. These. Yeah. And um, and and that's good. You know, a varying degree. So right from, you know, sophisticated chemists right the way through to, you know, uh, individuals working um, in, in a more kind of mechanical environment, if you like, a more industrial environment. But, um, yeah, that's going to be – that's my prediction for next year, the two things, a lot of consolidation in mining and minerals and the development of uh, – and the awareness of, of the talent shortage of people, and that's going to become quite a commodity chase as well. Um, but, Steve, look, thank you so much. We, we've taken, you know, we're ra racing up towards an hour because. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, we did have a lot to talk about, to be fair. And I do go on and on a bit. So that's bound to stretch the time, <laughs> the time quite a lot. Um, Steve, thank you so much. Um, have you know, have a great break. I'm sure you will. But I'm sure you'll always be keeping your eye, eyes and, and ears open to what's going on, because that's who you are. Um uh, you're like a detective, really, aren't you? You're an automotive detective. That's how I see you. Wow, that's a good name, actually. Roger, when we go into business together, that's what we call <laughs> ourselves. Brilliant. Well, look, for now, Steve Steve Levine. Sorry, I dropped my pen. I've taken all my notes. Steve Levine, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for everything you've done in 2021. And yeah, I do look forward to maybe hooking up with, with you on a few things in 2022. So uh, stay safe, work hard, and uh, please keep it coming for us all. Thank you. Same, Roger. You're, you are an institution. <laughs> no, I should be in an institution.
Thanks for listening to the show. And make sure you follow Roger on LinkedIn, where you'll discover almost all there is to know about the spectacular electric vehicle revolution.